Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me for this, our very first episode for 2017. Now today I'm going to present my interview with Jude Gold. What an amazing guitarist, what an amazing career. Multi-talented, multifaceted. Here's just some of Jude's stuff. I first noticed Jude's work as an editor at Guitar Player Magazine, where he's been writing since 2001. He's written hundreds of articles, lessons, gear reviews. He's interviewed guys like Slash, Pat Metheny, John Petrucci, Guthrie Gavan. The list goes on. Amazing. He also held down the uh, director and chair of the guitar program at Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California. That's an awesome job. And he still teaches there as well. First and foremost, though, Jude is a guitar player, currently touring the world with Jefferson Starship, that fantastic band. Jude's career as a sideman is legendary, and we dig into some of the amazing artists he has worked with. Uh, Hal Leonard have recently published a book written by Jude detailing his full contact approach to guitar playing. Jude gives us some great examples of that. He's got his guitar on for the whole interview, so he's constantly demonstrating some of these ideas, which... I really love, and we also hear some of his recorded work as well. Now, if that wasn't enough, Jude also hosts an incredible podcast called No Guitar Is Safe, where Jude sits down with some of the greatest guitar players in the world, guitars in hand, has a conversation, has some incredible jams. It's just one of the best guitar podcasts on the planet, without a doubt. If you haven't heard that show, just hit pause right now, get over to iTunes, subscribe, and then come back. All right, you're back? Nice. Let's get to it. Here's my interview with the amazing Jude Gold. We're probably good to go. I um... Yeah, I thought, I thought we were going. Yeah, well, we probably are. Well, I better say welcome then. Yeah, Jude okay. Gold, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. As Steve, Steve I would say, don't say we're going to go. Don't say we can go. <laughs> say we are going. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you uh, wanting to talk to me. And uh, I just, you know, don't threaten me with a good time. I love to talk guitar, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great, man. That's so good. Man, there's so much um, I want to try and talk to you about today, but your biography is ridiculous. Um, I'm going to read through a few names. And this is really only a few, <laughs> but of course, you're currently playing with Jefferson Starship, which I think we should talk about in more detail in a little while. But you've, um, you've jammed with, you've played with Greg Howe, you've, played with Angelo Moore from one of my favorite bands, Fishbone. Um, you've done jazz fusion gigs at the bass times three thing um, with Jeff Berlin and who else was on that? Um, Billy Sheehan and Stuart Ham. <laughs> How could I forget those names? Yeah, man. And, um, and some really odd stuff too, which I want to find out about. DJ Spooky, uh, who I love. Um, mainly his writing, Paul Miller's writing I've gotten into, but obviously... A great musician as well. Um, two live crew, West African stuff. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Jude, have you always been musically curious? Was that from the get-go? You, you were just into so many different things? Yeah, I was always musically curious. I remember coming home from Star Wars and just loving. I realized later that one reason I loved the original Star Wars so much was the soundtrack, not okay. just the ray gun sounds and the spaceship sounds, but the incredible score. And I went to the piano and, you know, realized how easy it was to just play some of those melodies you know that was before i played guitar and then i 
Then I tried the clarinet, and my neighbors basically one neighbor upstairs. She was like, "No, no, 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 no! You got to put that back in the case. You put it back in the case. Jam turns uh, over." And then, then, then my mom introduced me to this guitar teacher at my school, or, or she told me there was a program, and I was playing steel string guitar. I still have this guitar. It's a wonderful Takamini. Okay. It's a Mark. It's like a Martin OM copy. But back then, it was so hard to play because it had heavy gauge steel strings on it. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I swear I almost gave up. I swear I tell a lot of young students, like, yep. the first part is the hardest. If you can break that wall to where you can play chords and get from one chord to the next and start playing a song in rhythm, that's yes. when things, before that, you're just like, you can't even crawl. You're just like a baby on the floor who can't move, you know? It's like, but once you start being able to run, then it, then it starts to be fun. So, yeah, then yeah. I discovered guitar. But I was still playing acoustic. Yeah, yeah. And then what? I heard, I used to have this friend. He used to, um, he used to tell me the number one song every week. One day I was like, "What's the number one song?" Because he was a little older, and he's like, "Oh, it's Boogie Nights." <laughs> Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "That's cool." So I bought that. That was my first record. I bought Boogie Nights. My allowance. Awesome. By uh, Heatwave and the <laughs> producer guy. He just I blank on names when I'm being interviewed, but he just passed away. This. Uh, this year he wrote okay. a lot of stuff for michael jackson the, the big guy in heatwave and i'm so embarrassed and I'll, I'll remember it later and tell you but okay what a year huh and uh then my friend said this week it's le freak by now rogers uh, rogers cheek yes heard that sound very and cool. i had i had to get a guitar i had i had to get electric i had to get a strap although it would be years before i got a strap mm -hmm. so what was the electric i got a Harmony Stratotone. I always thought that the Fender Strat was a Fender Stratotone as well. It's like I got ah. a Harmony one. I just need to get a Fender Stratotone. <laughs> Later, I found out it was Stratocaster. Yep. The Stratotone was a plywood semi-hollow body that suffered a horrible death in the backyard when me and my younger brother did a photo shoot where we destroyed the guitar. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, now I kind of wish I had it. It would be kind of good, good for slide. That's what they say about you know, like when they say about bad wine, they say it'd be good for vinegar, you know, good for a salad. Yeah, for cooking. Good, yeah. good on a salad. <laughs> that guitar would have been good for a slide, but I don't have it anymore. Perfect slide guitar. Wow. But at least that got you going on electric, I guess. You obviously needed that tone to pull off the the Nile Rogers stuff. Yeah, you know, ironically, when I got my first Strat, I could not wait. That was like a year into my love of Van Halen. Yep. I was. 14, 13, 13 when I got my first Stratocaster. And I couldn't wait to get a guitar with a bar. You know, I'd listen yeah, to certain yeah. Van Halen songs like uh, Hear About It Later at the very end after the solo. Yep. Well, what was he playing? It's like. Like I can't wait to get home and use that bar, and then I opened the case. I got it used from this guy. Mm -hmm. It was like a seventy or Strat. It was you know ten years old already. Yeah. And I got it home, and I'm I'm looking for the little hole in the tremolo thing, oh, and there's no hole, no. and it's one of those rare hardtail Stratocasters that doesn't have a tremolo system. <laughs> oh no. And I kind of resent that that guy didn't make it clear to me. I thought that was a little low. However, <laughs> in retrospect, 
That's yes. the same exact guitar that Nile Rodgers calls the hit maker. The guitar of his that has no tremolo. That's a Fender ah, Strat. Yeah, yep. He wrote all his hit songs on. Uh huh. So I'm like, hey, I was meant to have a hit maker like Nile Rodgers, even <laughs> though it has not given me any hits yet. But it seems, yeah, fitting that I would end up with that guitar. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, but yeah, very sad for um for a Van Halen freak to um to not get the bar and of course as you said it's very rare those those hard tails were rare it's hard to find them now yeah 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 cool guitar though so, someone just posted recently of me wearing acid wash jeans in, in the late 80s oh nice playing that guitar awesome <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, en- you ended up in the Van Halen tribute band that I think you, you still play with sometimes I did you know I did a bunch of tribute bands my first one was 1997 uh-huh. Before tribute bands, in my opinion, seemed to be all the rage, I had this great jazz drummer friend who would never be caught dead playing hard rock, but mm-hmm. he had this brilliant idea. He's like, we're sitting at the cafe. His name is Brian Bowman. He's all, man, I want to start a, a band that, that mixes the music of ACDC and Star Wars. I'm like, well, those are two of my favorite <laughs> things on Earth. Yes. Early ACDC, early Star Wars. He's like, and we're going to call it R2DC. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, R2DC, that's the most brilliant name. I was like, I'm too busy to do it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to do this. <laughs> and so we did it. And, and it was more of a performance art piece than anything else. It was like a, the set of music was like no more than half an hour long. But uh, it was really great. And I was kind of the MD. And we had like a horn section. And we had C-3PO. Picture C-3PO playing trombone. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> all that all that brass. All Perfect. All so and I and I fused all I did mashups. So I would write out these horn charts, you know, like if we're playing back in black. Over the top of that, we had the horn section going. <laughs> Beautiful. It was awesome the way that I would mix together. The other one, the other one that I was proud of too was Hell's Bells. Uh-huh. You had like, how does Hell's Bells go? And over the top of that, we had. <laughs> and then the other one that I was really proud of is you know the Cantina scene. <laughs> We put that over, over. Uh, what's the name of that song? Beating around the bush. <laughs> and that was, it was great. And to my great thrill, I got to tell Angus and Malcolm about that when I interviewed them on a conference call. Oh, so and, good. And they had heard of a million ACDC tribute bands. This would have been yeah. about 2004 when I interviewed them. And they just were so tickled by that. They loved it, man. At the end of the interview, they're like, man, what was the name of that band again? <laughs> so that was great. But I did a lot of tribute bands. You know, I ended up in an all-male Manda- Madonna tribute band. All-male tribute to the material girl called Mandana. <laughs> nice. Howard Stern took it to them. Very and good. And then I did a, a Prince tribute band with four women fronting it, singing. And they, it was called Princess. Ah, oh, yeah, you've mentioned that. That's great. Super booty, and then a lot of stuff. And then I did an Ozzy Osbourne thing with Izzy Osbourne. 
And then, sorry, there's a helicopter going over. And then I did um, Van Halen with Randy Monroe's tribute band, Hot for Teacher. Great. And uh, it was really cool. And uh, and then we played all over the country for like four years and stuff. And it was just so much fun learning that stuff. I really got into a lot of that. That took a lot of preparation to to get those solos and stuff into like any kind of a presentable form you know some of them are just so weird and so cool every one of them is so amazing wow that is really cool and um yeah i, I mean I've, I've seen a few videos i've seen you do eruption and you totally own that so yeah, <laughs> yeah. the thing about eruption is you got to know the secret move which most of youtube videos don't understand mm -hmm. but what's that which is <laughs> And he does it again here. It's open high E string. Yeah. And then with your fourth finger, hammer on the second string at the eighth fret. Okay. Pull off to the fifth fret. Pull off to the open B string. Then pick the eighth fret of the G string. And then start over again by picking the high E string. It takes three strings. And then once you learn that, you realize he does a similar move right here. Where is it? Right there. The other thing is you really need, you got, it's like you got to have like the right guitar. You got to be an E flat with kind of fat frets and, uh -huh. and nine playing nines with a really good bridge humbucker otherwise you just feel like you're you know you're just riding a car with four flat tires you know <laughs> you gotta have the right guitar playing the strat right now then yeah, you realize yeah. that he does the same exact move in one of my favorite van halen songs which is which is i'm the one you know that one yeah first album <laughs> And the solo, the second solo is one of the greatest fast rock guitar solos, in my opinion, of all time. Like super fast, and he goes. It's the same exact move as oh, what okay. I first showed you. It's up a whole step. Okay, cool. So you're still but using still with the open, open string? Key. Yeah. High E string, and, the, and it pulls off. That's the pick the high E, then hammer on the B string, starting at 10th fret, right? And then pick at the 10th fret of the G. So so I had so much fun decoding all that. And I, re I did it all by ear, although I did use that great program transcribed to slow it down to half speed. Okay, yeah, yeah, wow. YouTube is a mixed blessing because there's a lot of good stuff on there, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, like, it's a game of shoots and ladders. You might end up on a shoot that takes you down the wrong thing. Sure, you yeah. That's nice with that three-string thing because it does sound like a two-string lick, but with the open string, that obviously opens the whole thing up. Well, I always have the philosophy that very few guitar players play things that are physically hard. Uh -huh. If you were going to try to play that line without the, those pull-offs the way I just showed you, mm -hmm. it would be so hard. It'd be, you'd have to, your wrist would probably catch on fire. Most <laughs> guitar players like to play things that are comfortable. In other words, once you learn them, it's easy to play. Now, some things are very difficult, obviously, certain classical guitar pieces and a lot of rock guitar, man. People are just having fun, you yeah, know? Yeah. You watch a downhill skier, it's amazing, <laughs> but 
but it's it's not like they're straining so much they're kind of cruising yeah sure cool so that that's lots of um tribute bands so yeah obviously you're getting in the heads of lots of amazing guitar players there not just eddie but um you know guys like randy rhodes and and uh malcolm and angus that's that's super cool when um when did you start doing originals gigs or you know working sideman kind of gigs for established artists that's a good question um well you mentioned angelo moore that was yeah that was when yeah. i was in college I went to UC Berkeley, and uh, we used to do original gigs all the time. And we had a house band, uh-huh. my buddies Chris Powell and Moose Lethridge, mm-hmm. and other people, and Steve Bradley. He plays No Doubt. Those other guys were all East Bay from the from Berkeley, Oakland area, and and Angelo Moore would come through and sit in with us. And then he actually booked us for a couple of gigs, and it was nice. really cool. And I love Fishbone, you know. Some of that stuff really imprinted on me i still love music that sounds like it comes from a certain region and fishbone just had that socal sound to me uh-huh you know nowadays everything is really homogenized with the web sure but i yep. feel like the era when you had that like that band sounds like that area <laughs> and fishbone i was always into slap bass lines and they had one of the best slap bass lines bone in the boneyard mm-hmm. it was called what's it called bone in in the boneyard how's it go <laughs> So I was like, I was in with that song. I was sold. You know, I love that whole sound. And there's very few bands that there, there were tons of bands that were doing that that were so huge in the Bay Area. Like Fungo Mungo got signed to Island Records, Psycho mm-hmm. Funkapus, all these great bands. Then Nirvana hit, and then um, none of them really broke through because all the labels started putting all their money and promotion into the Seattle sound. But Primus yeah, kind of yeah. made it. Primus did a lot of cool slap bass stuff. And there was always the Chili Peppers, but I think Living Color had that sound. But anyway, yeah. Angelo Moore, he was just—he would take us up there, and we would just do a spontaneous set, and he'd kind of conduct us. Wow, cool! Uh, he, it was a kind of an old school kind of thing. He'd like con- conduct us like a conductor. He'd come over to the two guitars, or he'd come over the horns, or he'd sing a line, have them sing it. You know, they, they reminded me of one time I was lucky enough. I was on the road with JGB, and we did a double bill with uh, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars. Man, oh, what a so riot. <laughs> and my friend Jeff Fogarty was the tour manager, and he's like, you want to come up for a song? And like halfway through the set, he just got me a guitar and handed it to me. And next thing I knew, I was up there, and we were playing Bow Wow Wow, Whippy Yo, Whippy A with that uh, George. <laughs> which one of the best lyrics of all time, I think. <laughs> Why must I be like that? Why must I chase the cat? nothing but the dog in me <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> so we're up there and we're playing and he's doing that same thing angelo moore just conducting man he's like looking at us with this look in his eyes it's so intense you're just like responding to every twitch that he has like come up come down like controlling the dynamics i mean truth be told it was chaos up there but it really felt <laughs> like we were the it felt like we were the london symphony of funk really it wow. was pretty cool so good so good yeah yeah interesting that area you mentioned um, Primus they were from um, they were an east coast band as well weren't they no Primus is Bay Area oh okay okay sorry (laughs) sorry they were very quirky I used to he used to do all this I watched him he'd do like he'd be tapping and slapping (laughs) 
he's doing that on bass. It just, I, it really, I loved his grooves. But he had that other one. I was like. I mean, I'm just guessing as to what it is, but yeah, these pockets. Yeah, yeah. And he's... It was the, I'm telling you, Matt, it was the best music. You could thrash to it. There were complete mosh pits. And you could dance to it. It had a groove. It was like. I, I, it makes me cry that it didn't take over the world, and I blame <laughs> the Seattle sound. <laughs> in the the early nineties, yes, I um, yeah, and he was singing over those crazy tapping parts as well, all those kind of quirky comic book almost vocals. Oh yeah, it's so true. I, I used to go see them every Monday night or every oh, Sunday wow. night at the Berkeley Square before they became huge. And if you listen to a couple of records when they play YYZ, uh-huh. you can hear me and my buddy making jungle noises. Oh, I'm nuts. making kind of generic. I'm making generic noises, so you probably can't really hear me. But you can hear my buddy. He's going. Where to God? You can hear it. It's on two Primus records, including Frizzle Fry, which is their breakout record. Yep, yep. Awesome, man. That's so good. <laughs> when I'm talking about Coast, actually, I'm getting mixed up. Living Color, obviously, was they were the. Ah, oh, yeah. They were East Coasters, and another can of worms altogether. Exactly. And I recommend people check out some of the inside tracks that weren't the big hits even though i love like um cult of personality but like yep, yep. like uh there's one called what's your favorite color baby it's yeah, just like it starts the funk thing huge guitar yeah. and then it goes into the funk groove and it's just like you can thrash to it and you can dance to it it's ah i miss it so much i'm getting all emotional like <laughs> thinking about being at those shows oh man so good i um I was in a band at the time. We did their Talking Heads cover, um, Memories Can't Change or Memories Won't Fade. can't remember the name, but I think that was on the same record. I think that was on the first record too. <laughs> oh, you reminded me of another one I did around that time, my first studio session for a real artist, and I wish I could say I've done more. But uh, I was still in college at UC Berkeley, and my bass player buddy, brilliant musician, Dave Ewell, He's like, hey man, I'm co-producing this third, this uh, I want to say third line, this two live crew. <laughs> I'm co-producing this two live crew record, and we need a guitar solo. So I go in there, like I think I cut class to go over to the studio. <laughs> One little Indian studio is this cool guy. He's done all these records. Like I forgot what he did, like Easy E or Too Short. Did a bunch of rap records. I'm walking down the stairs. He's like, I hear a rocker coming down the stairs. I hear a rocker coming down. <laughs> But it's just me. I'm not really rocker, but I definitely, you know, I brought a strat with a humbucker and a little yeah. Marshall combo. And the song, they just, it was blank. It was just the groove. And they were like, just kind of solo over it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take a solo. I'll just solo and put fills and do a big guitar solo in the middle section. And kind of shameless, like, shredding. Although I never consider myself a shredder. But, you know, doing my best to, like, to, like, really play a lot of notes with a lot of distortion and dive bombs and harmonics and, to my surprise, they left every single note in that song. Oh, <laughs> that's the one. best.
That was my first real one, yeah. Okay, cool. Tell me about working with DJ Spooky, also known as Paul Miller. Um, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, that was because I know an incredible human being named Tony Doritas. He was my, uh, his composer name is Anthony P. Doritas. And uh, he, he was my graduate student instructor, one of my instructors at college. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, he is a mover and shaker and a really sharp composer, amazingly talented and a great violinist. Mm -hmm. And he's always got, he's the head of the Northeastern Music Department in Music and Technology at Northeastern University. I love, man, Tony D. He's got so much personality, like, like hit it off of them right away because this class was so stiff. And then one day the teacher was absent and they said, you know, Tony's going to lead the class and he's from Long Island and stuff. And he's like, okay, so you see right here, this is, you got your German six chord here, but a boom, but a bing. Then you do this, <laughs> boom. And then we're talking about technology stuff. You want to run this into this, and then boom, there you go. I was like, so I just, we, I just <laughs> buddies. And he later had a, one of his many long string of amazing projects. He came up with the idea of a, of a symphony piece for orchestra and DJ. Now, other people may have come up with it, but Tony's the kind of guy that can make it happen. And uh -huh. he made it happen with the Oakland Symphony, which is a really, really great and possibly underrated symphony they sound amazing wow very popular in the bay area and he put it together with dj spooky as the dj and he incorporated some of my themes that that we had done just a couple of themes in there that uh that i had written for earlier we had some stuff lying around some scraps he freaking scored it for an entire orchestra wow that had is me come amazing. in, and you know what? I had a real learning experience because I don't know if you've ever played with a true classical conductor, but if you come from a guitar background of a rock background, mm -hmm. I'm from like the Dave Letterman school where he he throws his hand down, and when the hand goes to its lowest point, there's a drum crack. It's just bam, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> That's not how it works with an orchestra. When the conductor does the hit, they come in like. Three quarters of a beat later. Okay. Wow. It's the devilish thing. And so I'm sitting there and we're doing the rehearsal and we're doing this part and I gotta hit these big hits and I'm and I'm early every time. I'm ahead of the other hundred musicians. <laughs> and I can't get it. And then he's like, Hold on everybody. It's like, let me hear just the guitar at letter you know, at like letter A bar oh, ninety two. No. They're all watching me, but you're not gonna believe this, Matt. The part that he called out was this part in like 11-4 or something, 11-8. <laughs> but I had written it. It was one of the three little things that I had written. Nice. So I'm looking at it, and I pretend to be sight reading, and I'm playing. <laughs> it goes like this. It was awesome and everyone's like looking and they're like oh he played that really well and then they all like wrap their bows on the stands which is their way of saying kind of like thank you for <laughs> showing how it goes well done or something that's great oh man i got really lucky that moment so yeah anyway we played with uh, dj spooky and it sounded amazing and got good reviews and, and uh, it, it was it was very wild and innovative and groundbreaking and oh. tony d is the man tony doritas so good man I, I we're kind of jumping around a bit i know but i'm just digging at all these stories about all these amazing people you've played with um so just backing up though when when did you finish college when did you finish at berkeley i finished 95 and that's uc berkeley in california for anyone who doesn't know not boston yep 
Yep. I grew up the same town, same town I grew up in. I was like, you know what? I don't really want to move away. I'm kind of playing in the clubs in a little bit and just have my musical friends and and a day job. I had to support myself. I'm like, I'm pretty set here. Sure. I don't really want to. I, I managed to scrape my way into Berkeley as a junior after going to junior college, and mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed UC Berkeley, and I still like to visit. If you're ever in the Bay Area, it's a great place to walk around. Wonderful campus, UC Berkeley. Cool. And so what happened musically yeah. after that? So in terms of full-time gigs or touring, that kind of thing? Well, I can't recommend people enough that you just go for your dream. I was kind of being like really safe and holding on to my day job at a furniture store, Yeah, which, uh, which was really great. And my friend Bernie and Jesse, they gave me that job, which I will forever be thankful because it put me through college. But I was like, you know, it's so risky to give it up. But the second I let go of that and graduate, I started – getting some some work like i just you know i started playing i started teaching at blue bear school of music and then i was did a little producing i was helping produce this album for this woman named susan solomon and uh i was a little nervous because she was like i want to use this guy's studio named garth weber he's amazing he's this fantastic guitar player he's buddies with robin ford and he toured with miles davis and all this stuff and i'm like oh man what am i gonna do so, but we showed up and, and Garth, man, it was so great. I learned so much from him. Here's the super pro guitarist with a studio. And he was like my mentor for a few months while we did that. Mm-hmm. And he taught me a lot like about like doing fills in between the vocals and just playing less and not playing too much and coming up with a part that complements and all this. And then he got a call to join JGB, which was uh, Jerry Garcia Band Veterans. Cool. This was 97. They had, you know, they were still going like four of them after Jerry Garcia had passed away. Yeah. And it was a really fun band and, and he didn't want to go out on the road and he, he recommended me. I went down there for an audition. I was 26 or something, carried in my little, not little, carried in my matchless 2 by 12 That's when I had a strong back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> carried that thing like from the car all the way into this warehouse that thing weighs a lot. Matchless 2x12 Chieftain, man. <laughs> I've I, heard I, you mention that I, I before, yeah. And, uh, and I just had a lot of fun. It was, And uh, I remember that band leader, Melvin Seals, later, months or a year or two later, asked, why did you hire me? Because there's some really great guitar players in the room. Yeah. Like the guy before me was so good. I was like, I don't even know his name. I wish I could remember his name. I don't know it. I was like, there's no way they're going to hire me. This guy's amazing. He was so tasty and beautiful. And then I asked Melvin later, Melvin Seals, the organ player who played with Jerry Garcia for all those years in the Jerry Garcia band. He's like, it's like, well, you did this little hop. You're doing a solo, and you just got really into it, and you kind of hopped a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I kind of remember that. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I, you know, just, I kind of was going for it. I was just really going for it. So that was really cool. I got this gig, and we ended up touring around. We had a tour bus and stuff, and we went all around the country in Canada and did a live album on – on a kind of semi-major label for House of Blues Records. And uh, it was such a great band because they embraced the guitar solo so much. (laughs) (laughs) So you get to take some solos. That is cool. I love how you just went for it at the audition. You weren't scared. You just went nuts, and that's why they got you. Yeah, I mean, I was probably scared, but once you get up there, maybe sometimes the fear goes away a little bit while you're there. Thinking about it's always worse, right? Yeah, sure. Like the dentist. Yeah, yeah. About its worth. No, <laughs> that's a, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. <laughs> hey, uh, so not long after that, I think in the early two thousands, you ended up as a an editor for Guitar Player magazine. Had you 
had you studied any journalism or how, how did that gig happen? Well, I always enjoyed writing and finishing that feeling. Unlike playing guitar, which is fun the whole time, sometimes writing, you get that same sense of satisfaction when you finish a piece as when you finish a recorded song. Sure. Yes. But doing it is, when you're in the middle of writing is not as fun, I don't think. <laughs> it's a, but I always, that's what got me through college was writing, not my math skills or anything like okay. that, you know. Yeah. I always liked it. And, and with the JGB band, I had met this one journalist out there, and, and I said, hey, can I write an Adventures on the Road piece? And I put oh, all this time cool. into it, and she was like, cool. And she said, submit it. And then I finally submitted, and she completely flaked, and she just never returned my emails or anything. Oh. So I said, you know what? This is the Jerry Garcia Band veteran. I'm going to submit this straight to Relics Magazine, which is kind of the, the jam band Rolling Stone, if you will, although you know it's a smaller level magazine than Rolling Stone. But it's the magazine for the deadheads and the jam bands, and they took my article. Wow got into it i started writing writing these dispatches from the road and you know they're definitely kind of amateurish in certain ways but they were fun little pieces started freelancing for a guitar player magazine in 2001 michael melinda finally hired me as a full-timer wow so cool and uh i did that for like nine years in the office or eight years and then you know, then Musicians Institute in Los Angeles, Beth Marlis, and they were looking for someone to kind of help run the department, to be the uh, chair of the department, as she got promoted to becoming vice, vice I can say vice principal, <laughs> vice president of Musicians Institute, Beth. So I came down there, and, and I just recognized that, you know, you know, it's a big deal for someone from the Bay Area to move to L.A., but I was like, this is just an adventure. I just got to, I have to do it. I will kill yeah, kick myself if I don't so I've been down here since 2009 yeah but you know so I still retain an editorial kind of position if you will yeah but it's more like a contract basis I do one or two stories a month mm -hmm. and help out here and there attend event attend events or you know sometimes cover stuff for manufacturers whatever or do cover stories just to the recent green day cover story here and there mostly features and of course, I do my podcast, No Guitar Is Safe, which is uh, I created it, but uh, it's um, kind of we have a, a partnership going with Guitar Player Magazine because it's the really the first Guitar Player Magazine podcast. Yeah, which is great. I definitely want to talk about that too. I love that show. By the way, I was so excited when when you oh, put good. that together. Thanks. So when you're um, man now in that fast answer, there's so much to dissect man in um so when you're working for gp what were some of the more memorable interviews like you've you've taught some amazing players like zach wilde guthrie gavan um brad paisley that like a huge list that green days you just said are there any are there any interviews that stick out for memorable reasons uh good or bad definitely for me the first one that always pops out is that acdc one even though it was an in-person yeah. And it was just over the phone. ACDC kind of changed my life when I was 12 years old. I'd never been to a rock concert. Uh -huh. my, my brother wasn't even really into music, but I found out that someone had given him a ticket to see ACDC. I was like, <laughs> there's no way you're going to see a rock concert before me, let alone ACDC. So <laughs> I quickly got some tickets. We waited all day long, and then we got up to the front. We got there at 8 a.m., and then around 7 p.m., we're right in front of the stage, sitting down, like, peacefully. All of a sudden, everybody stands up and crushes the front, and I'm 12 years old, and I can't even breathe. I think, oh, this is it. Wow. I'm going to die. 
<laughs> this recent, right before that, some people had died at a Who concert, unfortunately, okay. in a horrible tragedy. And all of a sudden, I understood how it could happen. Before, I didn't really understand how a crowd, how could people, who would do that? And then I realized it wasn't anyone's fault. It's just everybody was just leaning forward, and the people us up in the front. I was so I got out of there, and then I finally escaped after like half an hour of being stuck up there. Every seat in the arena was taken after we had waited all day long. I had no idea where my friend was, but when ACDC hit the stage, it just changed my life. Like the, it was a feeling of like, I think some people might get that from church or something. Like it was just the power of that guitar, those those guitars coming through. There's so much emotion. I just remember like afterwards we were waiting at the bus stop in the rain, and, and this little thing was just echoing in my mind. Like from, uh, what song is it? From Shoot the Thrill. Mm-hmm. Like this, all the sounds that were just still echoing in my head. Yeah, and I was wow. like, from that point forward, I mean, I was already a guitar player and everything. I was already 12 years old. Probably started when I was nine or eight. Yeah. I was obsessed with music. So when I finally got to interview Angus and Malcolm, that was a huge one. But so many other ones... You know, the beauty of an interview is you never know what you're going to get. And I've interviewed famous people and less famous guitarists. And, had, and some of them are just the most amazing interviews, even if it's uh, someone you, like take Steve Kimmock, for instance. He's not as famous as Brad Paisley or or Angus and Malcolm sure. or Green Day. But he he taught me about the harmonic overtone series and 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 things that have just changed the way I approach the guitar. You know, just like certain interviews just blow your mind. But I really like that one. I, I'm trying. I'm drawing a blank now, of course, on some of the other ones. I always enjoy interviewing Mike Scott from Prince because he's just such a funky cat. He, I've had him on my podcast. Yeah. So yeah, you've had him in Prince and 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 on your show, which is cool. Well, let's talk about No Guitar Is Safe. What was the the impetus to get that started? You know, I always i i i always uh, discovered. Okay, I discovered how cool podcasts were when I would be driving back and forth from the Bay Area to L.A. And sometimes, yeah, that's a five-hour drive, you know. Okay, and, wow. And I was like, you know, there needs to be a guitar podcast. And, of course, there probably were several. But I always thought, you know, the, okay, the coolest thing. Well, you know, if there's one moment, it was when I was interviewing Steve Lukather for, you know, probably the second or third time. Uh-huh. And I have to say the biggest perk about being a guitar journalist is is getting to meet some of these guys and then over the years you actually become friends with them like like I'm, I actually consider myself to be a friend of Luca Thurston mm-hmm. he's one of my all-time heroes because of all the guitar players out there I can't think of one who's played with more superstars he's played more different styles of music you, you oh, go ahead and absolutely. try to ask him, ask him someone like Heard him on some podcast and was like okay uh, Neil Diamond he's like oh yeah I play with Neil whoever <laughs> yeah, I'm interviewing Steve Lukather. I'm at his house, and no less than five minutes into it, he's like, "Oh man, yo, so check this out!" He like runs to the other room and just grabs his guitar and yeah. starts plays me a little lick. I'm like, "That's not going to be on the printed page." Yeah, that's yeah. Not interview. Like, I really wanted to put people in my chair. It's like I'm sitting in the most amazing chair. Like, this is one of the great guitar players of all time, and he's looking me straight in the eye and he's playing guitar for me, and I really, my goal was to put people in that chair. And like almost as if I were jamming, playing blues, 
just playing their songs. They love all playing with these artists, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to do that. Now, Steve Lukather has definitely agreed to be on the show, but he's a very busy man. So if anyone's looking for the Steve Lukather episode, it hasn't been recorded yet. I assume one of these days we're going to hook up. Great. We don't live too far from each other. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, that's really what started it. And just like, you know, and the, I mean, that's the beauty of the guitar. I listen to all these other podcasts. Mark Marin, of course. I mm-hmm. love it when he interviews comedians. Mm-hmm. And they give you a little taste of stuff that they do, but you can't really do your craft on a podcast with one other dude right there. Or if you're an actor, you can't really act on a podcast. But guitar is one of those things you can do at any time. You could be a professional guitarist and you can be like, this is what I did, you know? Yeah, there so it is. good. I mean, it's just like right there. You can just show it right in the moment you can the person can show what they do yeah there's very few yeah. things like that very few things where you can interview the person and they can do it and you can jam with them the jamming right? is heaps good i love the jamming so you can play with them and put that in there and make it make it music because i do get tired of everybody talking about stuff sure i always it's always good to have people actually doing the stuff that they're talking about that doesn't necessarily work if you're talking to an athlete can't put him up there but with a guitar player <laughs> you can play music with that person right there that's cool and yeah. um i yeah. started no guitar say so good and so yeah so guitar player supports that in some way as well yeah they kind of they, they help out and help me promote it sometimes if i send them something they'll often help me put it out there yeah they help me find sponsors for different episodes great which is really which is really cool but uh yeah it's, it's, it's a kind of just a it's a partnership you know mm-hmm. and uh, i love guitar player i've been reading it since i was you know 13 years old awesome man so good i totally agree with the the depth you can get into as well i i, I remember the first um guitar player interview first cover story that was vernon reed in 88 or something or 89 and the first record had just come out and there was this really long story i think joe gore did that interview and um it was so in-depth and you know i think we all understand print media has has shrunk a little in in recent years and yeah. um you know the, the interviews even though yeah it's wonderful to hear from your favorite player um in say an hour or so conversation that you do with these guys you can just dig so deep and you can spend time on some of the little little points which is which is fun i love the steve stevens interview you're talking about um was it dancing with myself and you're playing the parts like you're saying you can explain the parts and i just thought it was the same the same hook but in the what did he say in the the verses he adds an extra open string or something i I oh yeah i think he he does it at the fifth string between the fifth string and the open high e (laughs) and then i think he was saying if i recall correctly that for the verses or something, he does it at the seventh position. With On the third string, thing. yeah. Third string. So then you get the B string ringing too, right? Yeah, that's true, yeah. I yeah, played that song yeah. with a million cover bands beforehand and never figured that out. That's so sometimes great. it's cool to get these little things. Yeah, just those little things. I, I find that a lot of fun. So that is very cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And, love- you, and you, you're... You're the unsung hero in that because you, you're jamming with all these guys on all their stuff. You obviously do your homework, but the off-the-cuff stuff sounds great. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, it's like 
some of it I just know from playing in cover bands. I can't recommend enough. If if you just want to become a versatile player, it's good to get into like a truly professional corporate band, I call them, or a casual band yeah, where, yeah. you know, play like one or two sets of dinner jazz and then maybe you play some swing jazz and some Sinatra for the second set. You know, some Ella Fitzgerald, some some uh gosh, Ed Last and all of all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then you get into the Motown, you to learn this whole scope of music. And then you do some seventies funk and disco and some eighties pop and stuff and then some nineties stuff and up to all the way to the present. That's a really good thing. So you already have like a, a foundation of a lot of the different music that people generally love, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so like meeting Steve Stevens, like I know some of those songs already just from playing them. Yeah. Although nice. And then, or Prince with Mike Scott, like, I just love all those Prince songs. They know, like, 15 of them. So that really, that, I think that really helps a lot. It helps you transcribe and learn how songs work or different chord progressions or you recognize different harmonies because once you learn it once, you can see, you'll see that a million other songs use the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Such a so good that one. always helps. But sometimes I do my homework and learn stuff if they have some cool instrumentals or something. Mm -hmm. Nice. Have you got, um, are you able to tell us what's coming up with that show? Well, I never like to mention until the interview's in the can. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, but I just, that I will tell, talk about, I got two interviews in the can uh -huh. and, and I several more scheduled. And the recent one is Lawrence Juber, who's two-time Grammy-winning guitarist with Paul McCartney and The Wings from back in the day. That's, that's out already. That's a great interview. I love that. That one's out. That one's getting really good reviews, so I'm happy about that. It's, yeah, you know, cool. It's, he's had a crazy life. He got to play so many different things, including... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun talking to him. Yeah, and cool. There's, there's so many great players out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Um, okay, well, back to your playing. Um, you started touring with Jefferson Starship back in 2012. Did you already know a bunch of their tunes, given your cover band background and that kind of thing? I knew some of them. Yeah. Like, I went and saw them when I was 13 and saw um, Find Your Way Back tour. I love that stuff. Craig Chikiso, that album, Modern Times, is one of the underrated guitar albums. If uh -huh. you like big rock and roll, check out the guitar playing on Modern Times. Craig Chikiso is just crushing. That song, you know, has a... I, it's, it's a really emotional album. I love that. To me, when I when guitar playing transcends into the level of emotion, mm -hmm. I remember that record, and that's one of those records that I remember from that. So many great B cuts on there. Yeah, just cool. great B tracks. So I love. I knew some of that stuff, and I knew like certain licks. Like I remember, anytime I'd hear a cool lick, I had to learn it. Like on uh, "Ride the Tiger." <laughs> great guitar part so i learned that one and i loved all that stuff but you know 
there's all kinds of other ones, great deep tracks with Paul Kantner that we would do that I had not known before. There's so many beautiful songs. I couldn't even, I don't know where to begin to list them all. Like yeah, little sure. songs like Lather or Hyperdrive or, or Wooden Ships, just stunningly gorgeous songs that we would play every night. I always loved that about Paul. He was never, ever just going for the commercial tunes. He would play whatever he felt like. That is so cool, and um, and you guys have been touring really steadily. Um, I mean, even sadly, after Paul's passing earlier this year, um, you're still carrying the torch for for his work. Absolutely, and, and it's still like I mean, that was um, I think it was January 28th when okay. Paul passed away, and it seems like yesterday. So it's just still so heartbreaking, but yeah, the music just keeps going on, and, and we're so proud to keep it just pumping forward and his energy is unforgettable he's one of the most rock and roll dudes i've ever met mm -hmm. like he was gonna rock and roll forever you know grace grace slick had this she infamously told the new york times they asked how come you don't sing anymore she's like nothing's more pathetic than a bunch of old guys playing rock and roll and I've come to meet Grace a few times, and I just love her. She just says the most awesome, like, <laughs> sarcastic <laughs> stuff. She's one of the funniest human beings on planet Earth. Yeah. But Paul's response to that was always, well, nothing keeps you young like playing rock and roll. So um, yeah. two different sides of the coin. Sure. We just had so much fun, and we have David Freiberg in the band. He's just the most amazing dude I've ever met in rock and roll because he's, I would say he's the first truly humble rock star i've ever met like he's truly selfless he's truly 100 percent giving and generous and he's having the peak of his life he's 78 years old now 77 78 wow. and he wrote the song jane you know yeah yeah Big and cute. we do it down in drop d because the original singer mickey thomas phenomenal voice but just yep. insanely high range yeah, so we yeah. do it a, we do it a whole step down in drop d okay I'm on the strat right now, so you can't really hear it, but. Just picture that first chord with the low D. Wow. And David's singing, and David wrote that song. It's, and then, you know, every night, you know, seeing him get standing ovations and stuff, it's like the guy is peaking at 78 years old. That's fantastic. Quicksilver, he was in Quicksilver Messenger Service in the 60s and really influential. Oh, wow. Delic rock band and uh and here he is like having the time of his life in 2016 and 17 and just you know it's incredible to, to see somebody peaking at 78 on a rock and roll stage yeah it's very cool and and his singing and people always come up to him like god your voice is so good <laughs> <laughs> i just love playing with david freiberg and we got donnie baldwin in the band too who's uh just been with on so many albums with Jefferson Starship from the '80s onward, and he's just he's played with so many great artists like Thirty Eight Special and Van Morrison, and he's just too many artists to name. But he's a great cool. musician too, so I love it. And Kathy Richardson fronts the band. Yeah, she's, she's great. Grammy nominated Grammy nominated lead singer who performed on the Grammy Awards this year with the original Jefferson Airplane. Okay. Guitarist Yorma Kalkinen and mm. bassist Jack Cassidy. She played with them, saying that was a really cool moment. And got Chris Smith on the keyboards. I think that's everybody. And yeah, we got a special coming out. That's yeah. what's new. Yeah, I saw you filmed that recently. Thank you for checking that out. Yeah, we put up a little clip here and there. But 
yeah, we filmed it. It's going to be broadcast on DirecTV, a one-hour like in-studio concert performance starting on December 23rd. On Apparently, millions and tens of, tens of millions of Americans have DirecTV, but I don't really know too many people. Okay. <laughs> I think we're at, California is more of a cable place. Gotcha. But if you've got the DirecTV satellite dish, if you're one of the like 100 million people who do, you can watch it. Nice. keeps us busy you know these little things keep us off the streets yeah well that's that's important uh, but you guys got like shows booked into 2018 or something that's crazy oh yeah yeah well i just put everything up there on, on my page nice now talking about keeping yeah. off the streets you seem to have kept yourself busy um playing what's called what you call full contact style guitar do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah for me it's just a thing it's like I've been doing it for so long that it's evolved into, I even have put a book out, which you might know about, which is called Solo Slap Guitar and Hal Leonard, and it has videos for every single example. But Yeah, congratulations. That's a, that's a new book that Hal Leonard have put oh, out. Very much. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun to, be, to have that out there. But it, to me, it all comes from the funk. It comes from the funk, you know? Like, I used to play a lot of bass. Yep. I'd see the chili peppers and stuff and I just love that sound, you know. So that'd be kind of like a bass line, but uh -huh. with the guitar, the strings are so close together and you can mix in harmonics and stuff. I started really mixing in stuff. I had a great teacher named Tuck Andress and he would do that kind of Michael Hedges kind of thing where he'd take his fingers from his plucking hand, because he never picked. Yeah. And he would Slap them twelve frets higher. Yes, yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. I mean, so if you take a G minor chord at the third fret, the top three strings, slap it with your thumb pointing down towards the four, you get that chimey sound. You can, and you start mixing in the slap parts with the harmonics. Mm -hmm. Where you take the Eddie Van Halen stuff where he moves the harmonic around. Right? Awesome. Or, I don't know, like, I just mix it all up together. A lot of people like this example called uh, Swivel, the song that I created this guitar part. Well, my friend wrote the guitar part on acoustic guitar and then I slapified it. Wow. Trevor Thompson, Trevor Thompson has a song called Swivel and I play the part like this. And you know, it's just so much fun to play chord oh, progressions that that's so good. Oh, thank you. So I, I you know, I just do that a lot of that stuff and Awesome. I have a couple of songs. I only, I don't, I'm trying to finish my first solo record, but I do have two or three songs on iTunes or on YouTube that you can check out. Like one of them is called Salamander, and that I teach that song in the book. 
Okay, like, cool. That song rules. I love that tune. Oh, thanks, man. video of that i'm using my iphone which is pretty cool and i snuck in some old footage of an old public domain robot movie (laughs) and it it did pretty it kind of went at least for my meager little terms it went viral for a second on facebook at like three hundred thousand views or something yeah cool it was was really cool to have that people check out that song salamander i teach it on the on the on the book there's a lot of stuff in there like the kind of stuff where you're bouncing the harmonics around and cool i love doing that kind of stuff so good those high notes we're hearing um so they're not it's not as if you're tapping notes on the fretboard they're they're just the overtones and the harmonics you're pulling out yeah like if you fret at the ninth fret of the second string and you bounce your you got to mute all the other strings so you got to have a good command of muting yeah the other five strings with your fretting hand so your fretting hand is muting five of the strings yeah but your pinky is holding the ninth fret of the second string and then with your slapping hand you bounce your thumb off that string exactly 12 frets higher and you get the harmonic yeah of course you can bend once you get it down you can use it for soloing is up So, and then yeah, it's like just you're just getting that octave harmonic basically. Yeah, just that's a way cool. To get octave harmonics. It's great. Or Eddie Van Halen would do that tapping. He would do that like on Mean Street. Yeah, yeah. Like, I need more distortion. I need more power, <laughs> Kirk. Oh, uh, that's cool. The distortion's great though because it does bring out a lot of those overtones and and upper harmonics, yeah. the partials and things. Exactly. It's like it compresses, compresses it. Nice. Brings it out. You also had a, um, you've also done a version of Funky Town using this kind of style. That sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Eric Shamlin directed the video and he did such a good job. Yeah. He was such a professional. He's like, I just need you from 12 noon to 3 o'clock. And we're like, really? So I just show up and I play and we bring all the instruments. We make it look like I'm playing all four instruments, like both guitars. Yes. And 
the bass and drums. Originally, I was going to have Joel Smith, who played both bass and drums in there, but he got busy with a gig at the last minute and couldn't make the shoot. So we're like, hey, let's just have me play all four instruments. Nice. So the way that he cloned me and put me all four of me in the picture at the same time, it looks like, you know, I don't know how they do that. I know it takes a while. Yeah, that was cool. But, I like that part. And then he had um, the girl, Allison Hahn, come through. She was an actor, and mm-hmm. uh, he uh, hired her, like, off of Craigslist, put an ad looking for an actor or a model, and she came through. Yeah. And uh, she did a great job. Of, and then he cloned her and made, like, 16 of her dancing. <laughs> so it's like four of me and 16 of her. And uh, But it all started with a humorous little joke of a lick, really, where I realized that you could tap Funky Town. Here, how's it go? <laughs> while, while also doing the bass line. Wait, how, what key am I in? But I, I did it actually down in drop D, but again, I'm on a Strat. And you know how long it takes to drop a D on a floating yeah, tremolo? Sure. That takes all afternoon. So I'll do it in E, and then I would be like... And I wouldn't use that tone, it'd be more like... I spoke to Gretchen Men a few months ago, your friend Gretchen, who's such a great player. Now, she told me when she was making her solo album, Hail Souls, you two were sort of helping each other out and encouraging each other to finish their solo albums. Now, she's got a solo album, but where is yours? She's got two. I just talked to her last night for like, God, a couple hours all about her brand new her record. new one. Yeah, yeah. Called Abandon All Hope. Yeah, yes. It's not lost on me that she's put out two since the time we both. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, Gretchen. I see what's happening here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's true. I helped her a lot with uh, the first one. She was nice enough to give me like a co-producer credit on that one. Fantastic. But yeah, you know, it was cool. The, one of the first, I think it's the first song, Scrap Metal. Yeah. She does these awesome slap harmonics. Yeah, I asked her about that and she goes, yeah, that's Jude. Well, you know, but you, you, know you showed her the idea. That's Gretchen because she kind of took what I was doing and she just was trying it. And something about her hand and her fingers, she's able to just bounce it off the string and get like rad harmonics. I can't even do it. I think my thumb is just too fat or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but she just barely grazes the string and gets those cool harmonics. But you got to check out her new record, Abandon All Hope. Wow, it's a... It's a really amazing thing. Mike Melinda, editor from Guitar Player Magazine, also contributed the libretto. Like it's a, yeah, it's a piece. It's, it's a deep, cool. wide. It's a. It's like most guitar albums are like a little laptop screen, and mm-hmm. then that album is like a widescreen cinescope at the big ass movie theater <laughs> with Dolby surround. It's like it's such a big, big thing. 
that she did with that, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've heard a little bit of a of um one of the tunes, and I think it's just been released now. So yeah, I'm um. Gretchen and I have tentatively talked about getting her back on my show to talk about that record a bit more. So that's um, that's really, really exciting. Um, but Jude, we, we'd love to hear more of this stuff from you, man. Um, there's another oh, track thanks. you've got lying around, Trip, Try Trip or something that's actually with oh, Gretchen. Yeah, yeah Try Trip. She plays the harmonics at the beginning. Uh, that's three songs already, Jude. That's that's a third of a record, surely. I already forgot about the full band one. Yeah, one yeah. of my few odd meter moments. What yeah, is, what, you're in seven. Oh yeah, I remember now. And uh, we, uh, I, there's this great guitar player named Lauren Lieber. And if you ever, if you're a real Steve Vai nerd, you know that one of his the guy that he really respected was this guy named Lauren Lieber, who he went to Berklee College of Music in Boston with. And I used to hang out with Lauren because Lauren's a genius. And he would do this thing where he'd like play like a B flat minor. Well, he would, I don't know if he did this one, but the type of technique, it's like if you play a B flat minor, a B flat major seven at the fifth position on the top four strings. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you hold down the A at the 12th fret of the A string with your picking hand's index finger okay. and then kind of strum it, strum it with your pinky. You get this close voicing that's impossible to play unless you're an octopus or something. <laughs> it's impossible to play that, but with this way you can play it. Yeah, cool. I don't want too much distortion for that chord. I just was really fascinated with that sound, so I kind of wrote a little song around that thing. But I was inspired by Lauren Lieber, who's an amazing Bay Area guitar player. Yeah, cool. 
And um, actually, the video with Gretchen, that's a, that shows that technique really clearly as well. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the videos. Cool. We're going to do a video of the electric version, too, if we ever coordinate it. Do it. Most of life is coordination. You just got to coordinate stuff. <laughs> Very true. How about, um, can we talk about your, your rig for a while? Um, you're talking about a strat today. What, what strat's that that you're playing? I'm playing my friend Amy Bruckmeyer's Jeff Beck Stratocaster. That's my main guitar. Okay, cool. And actually, you know, you just reminded me of something. I can't believe this. I swapped out the neck on it and put the very neck that's in that video. And that it, I finally took it off that guitar. I found out it's like a warmoth replacement neck, and it's like the best neck I own. And it's just perfect radius, perfect frets, and it fit the guitar perfectly. The guitar tech was like, I don't know if that's going to work, but I had him do it just right. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you're going to be surprised. It, it worked out perfectly. It's like an unfinished bird's eye maple neck. So that's what I—that's my main guitar. I use, mostly use backline amps on on the road. Okay. I've really taken to taking the Marshalls, and we've had a revelation. Even in like a theater and stuff, like it can be really loud if you're cranking Fender Twins straight at the front of the audience and a Marshall. Yeah. So I'll, I'll we'll aim our Fender Twins and our Marshall cabinets pointed up at the ceiling. Ah, okay. Yep. And this is a. Uh, this is something I learned from my friend Ken Harrell, mm -hmm. great guitar player in San Jose, California. I saw him doing that. It's so cool. You can crank it up loud. Nobody's getting beamed. It's not like melting anybody's face. If you want it to get louder, you just back up and get closer to it. Perfect. That's great. It's like it's like a light going up in the sky of sonic bliss. <laughs> awesome. I always like the way. Don't you like? I don't know. I I very rarely like the sound of a guitar amp right in my face. Oh, that has to totally. be an amazing. Yeah, has to be the most amazing tone. Like for me, a big part of the sound is the sound of the guitar bouncing off the walls. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many. It took me a long time to realize this. Like I'd show, I'd see a band playing in the square. I'd be driving around looking for a parking place, and it sounds so epic. You know, I'd hear the guitar bouncing through the downtown city center, some band rocking out in the park, and I hear the solo, whatever it was. Yeah, for sure. I just love pointing the speakers up and getting out of the way, and then like I adjust the sound of it by my ears, like by where I stand on stage. Yeah, some people turn around backwards, but then you can't go up to it and get feedback off of it and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've pointed at nobody. Uh -huh. I pointed at I pointed at up at the the lighting trusses. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's been kind of fun. I've been doing that. Nice. And do you have um? I know you take a little pedal board around. What's what's on that? Well, I take a right now. I'm using just a pedal train board, and I can't figure out why. I mean, I still have this problem with Velcro pedals slip around; they get heat. Like, I don't know how do you keep. It's, I just, I, I don't know how people do it, but I'm still having pedals sliding off their Velcro and that stuff. That's somebody who can fix that problem where we don't have to deal with Velcro. Then you deserve a Nobel pedal prize. Yeah. I would say. I mean, I cable so, tie, but it's a little bit permanent. That's all. I like cable ties too, but it's, it works better with certain pedals than others. But yeah, sure. cable ties. I really like the holy board that that guy's making. I, I'm, he's such a cool dude. And I'm oh, forgetting okay, yeah. his name at the moment, but he makes the the holy board which is really cool. It's a little heavy for me. I wish it was like really lightweight material, but with all those holes for the cable ties, it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. a genius idea. So that's a really cool board. Got one of those, but I, I don't know. I got the the Boss DD500, the good all-in-one travel. Mm -hmm. 
travel delay. Can you delay? I don't have anything. I don't have anything super fancy. I want to get like some Strymon stuff at some point, but um, you know, like the Dude distortion pedal is pretty cool. The Dude. Oh yeah, yeah. I got some, got some full tone stuff. Full, what's that? Octafuzz. Yeah, nice. That sounds really good with the volume halfway down. Um, I really love the Boss Terra Echo. That is a very underrated pedal. Uh huh. If you like psychedelic sounds, check out the Terra Echo. It's really cool. I don't know if you've ever seen my. Uh, embryonic journey but i do this old airplane acoustic piece i do an electric guitar You're an electric for that yeah i've seen that that's cool and i often hold down the beginning where i hold down the pedal and you just get the most shimmering fairy dust sounds i think that's a technical term there for you shimmering fairy <laughs> dust google that kids yeah it just holds the sound and then if you let it go it's just like it's a good little it sounds like some crazy boutique echo that's a, a boss pedal now it's available in the dd500 uh-huh Right. So I can, so I have multiple pedals in one. I don't have to bring the the Terra Echo because it's already in the DD500, which is pretty cool. Yeah, nice. And that's a that's a pretty smart pedal. There's all, I mean, there's there's so much cool stuff all the time. How, how to keep up with it? I like that little EP compressor too. I use that one. Okay. Yep. The mini pedals. Yep. Sounds really good. I also like my Keeley compressor, but the <laughs> the the. Uh, the exotic. Did I say TC? It's an exotic compressor. Oh, and, okay. Uh, but is that the... I forgot the name. Yeah. It's so small. To me, it sounds really good, too. So I'll, I'll either bring out the Keeley or that. Distortion pedals, it all depends on the amp. That's what they don't tell you when you're a kid. Yes. It's, it depends. It's going to sound so different through different tubes or different preamps or a preamp that has a lot of headroom or a preamp that compresses really easily. Yeah, yeah. I love that dude preamp. I mean, that dude distortion pedal through certain amps, but through the Marshall, I'm still, it all depends. Sometimes just a tube screamer. Got a Keeley modded tube screamer. Okay. Through the Marshall, you know, night by night basis. I, basis. I often like to use the the amp tone itself for distortion if possible. Especially okay. my favorite tone that I had recently on, on a embryonic journey, and it's actually on the line. I don't know if I put it up or someone put it up. I think they put it up. I might have put up my own version of it. Embryonic Journey, Jude Gold, Sweden. I'm not trying to promote myself, but <laughs> it's the only time I played it in Sweden. And yeah. uh, the interesting thing is there was an Italian baggage strike, and they held on to our suitcases and pedal boards for oh, like three wow. days. Wow. I had no pedal. I had one guitar. Yeah. My other guitar and my everything was gone. And the, the sound guy there... I told him, hey, man, when I play Embryonic Journey, you could put a little, you know, you could turn up the soul and talon knobs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a, lot of a lot of engineers know that to mean a little reverb and a little delay. That's the right. Soul and, the talent. <laughs> and he did the best job. I'm just going guitar straight into the amp. Guitar, cable into a Marshall JCM 2000. Okay. Yeah. And so you're getting that kind of power amp sound. And... 10 seconds in, you hear him turn on the the effects. Ah, nice. And it's the most beautiful stereo. I think that's the best it ever sounded.
about just guitar. That's where I'm headed. That's where everyone should be headed. Just guitar straight into the amp, and then wet, dry, wet kind of thing. Get your get your amps, get your effects out of somewhere else. I'm really, you know, my friend Jamie Kime, incredible guitarist. He used to play the Zappa, plays Zappa, plays the baked potato every Monday night. Jamie Kime has he's using the Fryette Power Station, I think. This is a really clever device. Mm-hmm. So you can run your amp and then also run a signal out and run use the power station to send the effects out into another speaker cabinet or two speaker cabinets to get the effects separate. Oh, okay, cool. Or if you want it, or if you have a really killer low wattage amp that you just love, yeah, run it into the Fryette and then add the effects in the Fryette power station. Uh, know nice. what I'm saying? Nice. So you take like a little 10 watt amp and then add the 50 watts. I think it is. Yep. Cool. In stereo effects, I'm a big proponent of stereo if possible. It doesn't make sense on a lot of stages, but we hear it in stereo. Sure. And if you can get a cool stereo tone, one of the best tones I ever saw on a big arena stage was Coldplay. And I interviewed the guy afterwards, Johnny Buckland, great guitarist for yeah. Coldplay. Yeah, they just played here last night, actually, in Sydney. Yeah, underrated sure. band. For some reason, people like like to hate on Coldplay a little bit I think they're just wonderful I totally recommend if you can go see them it's hypnotic through songs Absolutely. and I asked him how do you get the most pristine effects and he's like oh well my front of house engineer and I, I don't forget the guy's name he's kind of controlling the main effects the reverb and delay on every song oh okay so he's dialing, he's thinking like a producer and he knows what Johnny Buckland's guitar is supposed to sound like Cool. Each song, and he's getting that beautiful, perfect amount. Not too wet, not too dry. Yeah. And it was really mind blowing to, to hear that sound. So, but most of the time, for most of us who aren't in a superstar band, we don't have those kind of resources. So it's safer if we just play in mono and control the effects ourselves. Yeah. You know. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I love I love his tones, man. They're beautiful on all those Coldplay records. Yeah. What's what's coming up for you? You you're like constantly doing stuff. What's what's 2017 look like? Well, you know, just focusing on the podcast and um Jefferson Starship shows. Yeah. Got two shows in LA during Nam week. They're kind of far from the convention center, but if anyone's in town for Nam, we're uh-huh. playing at Pasadena on the Friday of Nam, which is January 20th, I think, and then the Saturday up in Agora Hills, 21st. It's a little bit of a mission from the Anaheim Convention Center, but uh-huh. <laughs> I'll probably be at NAMM on the Thursday and maybe the Sunday, maybe a little bit on those other two days. Yeah, cool. And doing that, and you know, we got other shows, you know, East Coast and earlier January. Yep. Got that, you know, that special coming up December 23rd. You can always keep up with me on Twitter or something for the latest. I like Twitter. Twitter's underrated. At uh-huh. Jude underscore gold. There's just so much craziness happening on Twitter. <laughs> People are posting <laughs> live. But I also, I'm, I'm on Facebook and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we see on Instagram and yeah. all that kabaz. Very cool. And your website's great. Your website, unlike a lot of websites, you, you seem like that's pretty up to date most of the time and has some cool stuff on oh. there. <laughs> that's funny you should say that. I just updated it recently. Okay, nice. <laughs> Uh, that was good timing. Dodge that one. Nice, nice. I just had an interview. I just had an interview. I won't mention names, but I was trying to do the maths based on 
something on their website which was like 10 years old so I was like a decade out when I asked the question ah <laughs> I'm like uh, okay yeah I should I wish I could yeah it's hard to stay on top of everything I mean people are very lucky if they're a successful artist where they can hire someone to update all that stuff yeah you know? sure and it is, it is crazy time consuming when you've got better things to do like play guitars and play shows is there anything else we should know about that you've you're working on Jude Oh, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'll remember later, but no. <laughs> no, that's cool. I think we've covered heaps of stuff, and really it's only touching the surface of your amazing career. And, um, man, yeah, so thank you so much for your time. Um, definitely I would encourage Thanks. people to, yeah, definitely get on your website, follow you on the different social media, and, um, and chase up some of this stuff. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's just incredible. I really appreciate it. And uh, nice words. I interview a lot of people who have truly amazing careers, but it's nice of you to describe mine as such. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know what? The trouble for me was thinking, what am I going to talk about? Not because there was nothing to talk about, because there was so much. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. great. Good on you. Keep it going. And um, we'd love to hear. I'd love to hear some more solo stuff if, if I can uh, place All one right. order. But I appreciate the uh, vote of confidence. Thanks. Uh, coming up soon. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> cool, man. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Jude. Uh, we'll, we'll keep watching out for all your great stuff, and uh, we'll keep listening in to know Guitar is safe. And uh, wish you all the best for the holiday season and the new year. Thanks, you too. Thanks, man. Happy holidays. Keep in touch. Let's jam next time you're over here. I, I want to come there. All right, there you go. There's my interview with Jude Gold. Man, I was giving Jude a hard time about getting his solo record together, but he is so busy. He's got so much going on and seems to do it all really well in his stride, you know? Great player, really passionate about the guitar, and that can only be inspiring for us. All right, so definitely check out Jude's stuff. His teaching, his playing, his podcast, his writing... All that stuff, it's so, so good. And I was very honored that Jude would be on the show here. Hey, we've got some great other episodes you could check out, especially if you're new to our podcast. We've got interviews with guys like Andy Timmons. Man, that was so good speaking to him. Um, Gretchen Men, Rob Balducci, some amazing guitar players. Also some really cool builders. We spoke to Maiden Guitars here in Australia. Um, Sully Guitars, Roni Guitars recently. Pat Keegan, who built my custom guitar. From Aladulla, Australia, beautiful um, Jag, Telly, Jazzmaster kind of hybrid. Anyway, anyway, there's lots of cool episodes you can check out, another 31 or so. So you can subscribe to us at iTunes or at Stitcher or check us out at guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com. We're on Instagram, Guitar Speak Podcast, and Facebook, Guitar Speak Podcast. Um, so yeah, drop around, say hello, comment on the episodes. We love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the episodes, why not share them throughout your own social um, connections? That makes a really big deal to us, a really big difference in us getting our episodes out and about, and uh, we really appreciate that as well. All right, it's been great presenting today's interview with Jude Gold to you. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll see you next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. Bye now.